Uh, I, was, I wasn't here last week because my children had actually paid for my wife and I to go away for a few days as it was her birthday. And so we had a, a wonderful time away, just her and I, where we just got to spend time together alone um, to be in prayer, to, to read, to, to, to commune and get to, and just to refresh our relationship, which as I was thinking about that this morning, the blessing of nurturing the relationship that you're in with your spouse is a wonderful thing. How much more then are we to nurture the relationship we have with our Lord? How much more important then to spend time with him as he invites us to himself to, to, to speak with him, to commune with him, to hear from him. And so I would encourage you to take your, your little spiritual staycation every moment that you have to spend time with the Lord and nurture the relationship that he went to the greatest of lengths to establish with you. A big thank you to our brother Jono who shared the word with us last week. And what I like about the scriptures is that although it was written for that church in the first century or for those churches in Galatia in the first century, those spiritual truths that the Paul communicated in the letter to the Galatians is just as applicable to you and I today. The truth of us having deliverance in the 21st century from this present evil age, the blessing that you and I have been crucified with Christ and yet nevertheless live, the fact that we have been made free in Christ and we are to stand firm in that freedom, that we are to, as Jono shared last week, to walk in the spirit so that the lusts of the flesh will not be gratified that he made reference to, that we bear one another's burdens, that we have the fruit of the Spirit manifest and to grow as we spend our time with him. And we see the practical outworkings of this last week, as Jono shared, how that in our support and care and involvement with one another, we can build up the body of Christ. As we move into this final section in Galatians chapter 6 of Paul's letter, there are some more practical expressions and internal attitude examples that we can learn from. And as we learn from them, we can seek to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, apply to our lives as well as we are transformed from glory to glory to the glory of God the Father. And so this morning, as we look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through to 18, I want to share with you three words. Three words. There's a good word, there's a bad word, and then there's the best word. And we're going to look at those three words, and we look at this closing word in the book of Galatians. So I'm going to invite my brother Chris. If you come back, bro, the the passage is right here for you. If you could read for us Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. There you go, bro, right there. Thanks. Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy 
to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I hear, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Okay, if you just want to bow your heads, we'll open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we exalt you this morning. We lift you up and give you the highest praise, for you are our God, you are our King, you are our Saviour. We thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we might have life, who was buried and rose again so that we too will rise with you that we have been made new creations through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we look at your living word, even now we pray that you will, by your spirit, will impress upon our hearts just where we need to be changed, where we need to be convicted, where we need to be transformed more into the image of Christ for your glory. Father, I pray that you will change our desires, that as we look into your word now, you will change our goals, that we will fall in line with your will, Father, please move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at three words today. If you want to look at verse 11, we're going to look at the first. A good word, I like to call it. A good word found in verse 11. And we read this. We read, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. This is what I call, as a good word, the outworking of love. The outworking of love. The heart of service is one that is not only, one, the desire to share theological truths with the people, or, and two, remind people of their freedom and liberty that they find in Christ, but also three, to do so willingly, even though one's capacity might be seriously limited. Now, the reason why I say this is because Paul has been known, or tradition has viewed, that his thorn in the flesh, as referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, is his bad eyesight. That he had bad eyesight, thus he would often narrate or dictate to somebody who would record for him. Now, for some reason, Paul may have been by himself. He may not have had someone to record for him available, so he deemed it worthwhile to write this letter himself. He had to do it himself. And, and we all have limitations in our lives, whether they be physical, whether they be relational, whether they be emotional, whether they be professional. But Paul, with the limitations that he had physically, he deemed it important enough for him to personally write this letter for the issues that were taking place in the Galatian churches. He sat there and he worked his way through it. And it didn't matter if he couldn't see properly. He did what he had to do and he wrote big letters. Okay, case in point, I bought myself a new Bible because my old Bible, the, the, the print was getting too small. I couldn't read, I couldn't read my old Bible in, in this sort of light. Outside in the sun, it was fine. So I bought a Bible with bigger print. Okay, And so I had to do that. Why? Because I want to be able to read the Word of God. And it doesn't matter, and, and I think maybe I'll be able to do one of the things I've always wanted to do, and that is wear glasses. 
I've always wanted to wear glasses. I think it might make me look smarter. But apparently, I've worn a pair and someone said, no, Joe, it just now looks like you're someone that's a bouncer with glasses. That's all it is. Okay? But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. If there's something so important, you'll be willing to do what it takes. If there's someone that's very important, you'll find a way to do it. You'll find a way to rearrange things and sacrifice certain things because someone or something is so important to you. For Paul, the Galatian churches and their welfare was important to him for the glory of God. And so it meant, even though he couldn't see properly, he did what it took to get these theological truths to these Galatian churches so that they in turn could experience once again the freedom that is found in Christ. You and I know this in our own lives. The things we're willing to give up for the love of a spouse, for the recognition of a job, for the acknowledgement of our God. Or maybe not. But we are willing to do this. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. That if it's important enough, we are willing to give things up or do things that we would not usually do. Case in point. Jesus going to the cross as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. You look at Luke when he wrote his gospel for Theophilus in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You look at Paul here in the Galatian church and what he was willing to do regardless of his bad vision. Paul desired God's people with the theological truths shared to see Jesus. Paul desired the Galatian churches for God's people to know Jesus. Paul desired for these Christians, for God's people to prioritize, to nurture, and to cherish their relationship with Jesus and not have things added to it. He wanted them to know the freedom in Christ, their power in Christ, and to value the relationship they share with Christ. For all the information that has been shared in the past several weeks, in the past couple of months, regarding living free, We've looked at foundational truths. We've looked at being aware of the dangers and the things that distract us. We looked at what it's like to be crucified with Christ. We've looked at the facts and faith regarding living free, that we are no longer slaves, that we are to stand firm, that we are to walk in the Spirit. All of these truths that we've looked at over the past two months have been done so not so that you and I can be entertained, not so that you and I can be built up in our ability to know various truths, not so that you and I can just have fun at church or join us online whenever we feel like it. All of these truths have been shared over the past two months so that you and I as God's people will know We'll know the joy, we'll know the purity, we'll know the purpose that we have received of knowing Jesus Christ. I've always shared this. When we come to the scriptures, when we listen to a sermon, when we spend time in the word of God, it is done so so that we are introduced and that we are meeting with a person. Not reading letters on a page. That we are meeting with him as he desires to meet with us. That as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. 
And Paul demonstrates this attitude of doing what it takes by using such big letters for blessing them with the glory of God. For blessing them to the glory of God, should I say. And once again, we see this desire to demonstrate this good word. This outworking of love is once again contrasted with the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. And we see this contrasted outworking of love in verse 12. Verse 12, we read this. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now we know that there were infiltrators that were trying to establish another gospel. And there was a twofold effect that this was beginning to have. Firstly, that put them in a position of power. A position of power by essentially being God, by saying the way you find out how close you are to God is by coming to me as a man or as a teacher or as a pastor, as a false teacher. That was the first thing they were trying to establish. They were trying to establish their power. The second thing that they were doing was leading them away from Jesus and putting them back into slavery and putting them back into bondage. And that's why we see not from this this good word, This outworking of love is then contrasted with what I call this bad word, which is the manipulation for self. And you see this in verses 12 and 13. You see in verse 12, which I just read, there are several things that point to a legitimate selfish manipulation of the flesh. The things that identify what a false teacher or a false leader is. Firstly, there's this need to impress. When the need is for me to look good, when the need is for me to have you walk away saying to yourself, wow, Joe, what a, what a great preacher. Or Joe, what a, he's so, so knowledgeable. Or, or Joe, he, he's, he's such a great guy. When, when the need is for you to acknowledge me as a person, If you're impressed by me as a person, then that's an evidence that I, perhaps, if that's my motivation, if my motivation is to walk away and have Auntie Kathy go walk away and say, oh, Joe's such a great man, then that's the whole evidence that I am not there for you. I'm not there for God. I am there for me. And as a leader, that is not what me as a leader has to be. I am seeking to impress you. I am attempting to get the recognition from you. I am wanting accolades that you manifest toward me. Right there is a reminder of the condemnation that Paul gives in chapter 1 verse 10. That I am a pleaser of men rather than a pleaser of God. And if I'm a pleaser of men, then what am I? I am not a servant of Christ. That's how you can identify somebody that's one of these false teachers. So firstly, the need to impress. This is where I myself need to spend time in the word of God saying, Lord, what is my motivation for saying what I say, for doing what I do, for being where I'm being? If it's merely to impress you as a man or impress you as a woman, then that indicates to me that I, am not, I don't have a right heart before God. This is the, the thing that, that challenges both you and I and our personal relationship with him. Second thing, that impression comes at the cost of others. 
placing on you convictions, placing on you standards, placing on you rules that are not biblical. Or they may even be biblical, but they're not in line with God's spirit. Like in this case, the idea of circumcision. They were saying you need to be circumcised to show the reality of your genuineness of your faith. You need to be circumcised for your salvation. See, there are things that can never and will never be changed regarding your faith, regarding what saves you. Nothing that can be added to. You can't add to the gospel. You can't compromise the gospel. Salvation in Christ alone comes by grace alone, through faith alone, on the word alone, for the glory of God alone. As soon as you add to that, well, once again, there's an indicator of an infiltrator. Or it gets me to question why I'm doing what I'm doing. Thirdly, for one's personal comfort. And here is one of the worst manipulations shared. That the only reason such manipulations are done is to avoid being persecuted for Jesus. Is to make sure that you're comfortable. It's a compromise that removes the offense of the cross. It's a compromise that puts you in a great position in the eyes of men, but not in the eyes of the Lord. And here's the thing. Once you start setting up such things like this, it exposes the unrealistic standards that we set in place. The standard that we set up that we fail to keep ourselves. The standards that we set up in the name of spirituality, in the, in the name of religiosity, in the name of looking good, we ourselves do not keep. That in the deeds of the flesh, we want to, but we fail over and over again. It's why in verse 13 we read, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. We see the same double standard represented by leaders all the time, not only in churches, but in politics, in government, in our workplaces. The very things you hold people to, you fail yourselves. I remember, I believe, the Californian governor, Gavin Newsom, who was putting on a very strict COVID restriction and not saying you're not allowed to do this, that, and the other, not allowed to go out, eat, eat out in restaurants, you've got to be masked. And then you see on the news that he's in a restaurant with 16 other people, no masks, having a meal. The very thing he asked everyone else to hold to, he didn't hold himself. You see this all throughout the world. And you look in Acts chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, you see Paul making the same thing. I'll read it for you now, actually. Acts chapter 15, verses 10 and 11 says this. Here we are. I can now do this because I have a, a Bible I can read. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. It's that same idea. What you expect of others, you'd fail to keep yourself. Now, we see it in our own hearts when we pass judgment on others around us. 
and yet we fail to exemplify the same expectation ourselves. We expect people to invest into us, and yet we do not invest into others. We expect forgiveness and acceptance as God showed us in Jesus Christ, and yet remain unforgiving and unaccepting of others. We expect, and I remember saying this, I would, I would often sit there and say, when well, my brother says, hey, you haven't called, my brother would say, oh, he haven't called to say happy birthday, you haven't called to say this, that, and the other, and I say, well, bro, you've got a phone too. I haven't heard, you from, I haven't heard from you in a long time. Well, you know my number. We often sit there and say, why, why is it that we often hold people to say, well, they don't do this or they don't do that, and yet we don't do it ourselves. That's something we need to be aware of. This is why the next verse is so necessary. When there is, by the grace of God, a recognizing of our immature, carnal ways in comparison to the beauty of the gospel, when we look at the God who loved us even though we offended him, when we look at how Jesus who came for us, even though we rejected him, that the spirit who awakened us and by whom we are born again through faith in him, through his, his life, his death and resurrection, we look at what he's done for us. When we come to that understanding by the spirit of God, then there is or there should be this change of vision, a change of desire. A change to glorify God and not glory in ourselves. A change to rely on his spirit and not to rely on self. A change of longing to know Jesus more and not to know self or, or depend on self more. For in the true knowledge of self as revealed in scripture is the revelation of my need for him. My desire for him. It is an understanding that arise, yeah, sorry, it is an understanding the gospel that there arises or should arise in us the following confidence that we are loved by God, that we are known by him. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed the various apologists that arise when it comes to certain topics that they're passionate about. Uh, apologist merely means someone who defends, one who defends, okay? Whether it might be who's the greater player, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and you'll have everybody that's come up and speak their whole thing and give their arguments. Uh, who's the greatest rugby team, South Africa or New Zealand? Who's the greatest cricket team, India or Australia? Um, who was the greatest prime minister, Winston Churchill or Margaret Thatcher? Or the greatest president, Donald Trump or Ronald Reagan? Or, you know what I mean? You have all these various apologists that pop up and say something about everything. And I guarantee right now, John and I will probably have a discussion after this about one thing or another. I think he's a Margaret Thatcher fan, um, personally. For all the armchair critics and the joys of pointless discussions, for all the boasting of who's the greatest, Paul focuses here on one thing to get us back to the single reality upon which our very existence rests. 
Yes, we can have this good word of willing to do what it takes for the blessing and benefit of others. We have this bad word when you have those who come in and manipulate others for their own benefit, which we are susceptible to. And so what Paul does is he actually gets everybody back. Once again, another contrast, gets it back to the very thing to which our focus should remain. The one within whom our very existence rests upon, and that is found in verse 14. It says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. People love to boast. I am guilty of such things. Not that I have much to boast about, but if I am going to boast, I am told here that the one thing I'm to boast about is not in me, is not in my ability, is not in what I can do, is not in my position, is not in my family. I'm to boast in Christ and in Him crucified. The cross, the sacrifice made for me. The cross that has made me a new creation. The cross where God Himself took upon himself human form and was nailed to that cross so that I could be delivered from death. That if I'm to boast in anything, I'm to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. We love to name drop, don't we? We love to name drop. Oh, I know, uh, I remember my dad. My dad knew this guy who was a politician in New Zealand, Richard Preble. We got a Christmas card for him. I was like, wow, my dad knows Richard Preble. To you, that means nothing. For you, that, that, that's fine. But back then in the 80s, I was like, wow, my dad knows Richard Preble. And he was a politician. He was liked by some. He was disliked by others. But you have people who would just name drop. I mean, I know the prime minister. Or I know this person. Or that. How many of us say, I know Jesus Christ? I know Jesus Christ who died for me. I know Jesus Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many of us are willing to boast that we belong to him and that his banner over us is love? If I am to boast, Paul says, I do not want it to be in my heritage, my education, or my accomplishments, or my status, as he talks about in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Nor nor does his focus rest on his numerous exploits for the kingdom of God, the overcoming of numerous trials and and tribulations, the oppositions and the opponents, the fact that he was shipwrecked in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through to 28. He doesn't boast in those things. He makes mention of it, yes. But you notice whenever he makes mention of those things, it is in direct contrast to who Jesus Christ is. Yes, I count all this thing as rubbish, as he talks about in Philippians. Yes, it's all rubbish. It's dung. It is dung. But what's his concern after that? Well, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The same thing with his trials and his tribulations in 2 Corinthians. Yes, he explains it all, but it's only in direct contrast to or connection with the faithfulness and the providence and the provision and the power of God in Jesus Christ. All of those things are mere avenues for him to boast in Christ. That's what they are. That's what he considered valuable. Valuable. 
if he was going to boast, it would be in nothing else except the cross. To boast in the wonderful news of God loving me. To boast in the expression of that love when God became a man and dwelt among us. This, this is what I'd like to call the, the, the declaration or the proclamation of singular praise. This is the best word. Yes, we have a good word. Yes, we have a bad word. But this is the best word. The proclamation of God to boast in him. To boast in the truth that God, as Jesus Christ, came into the world to save not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To boast in the sacrifice of sin Jesus made as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. To boast in the historical fact that he rose from the dead on the third day. Evidence that he is exactly who he said he is. To boast that my salvation from sin came not from my efforts, not from me trying harder, but through trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. For trusting in Jesus for the regeneration of my being. For trusting in Jesus for the security of my eternal destiny. To boast in John chapter 6 verse 37. To boast that when Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive out. To boast that I was accepted by God himself in Jesus Christ. To boast that I am a child of the most high God because of what Jesus has done. And not only that, not only to boast that I know him and am known by him, but to boast that the world is crucified to me. Meaning the attractions that this world offers, the goals that this world holds, or that, that, that this world values, the priorities that this world holds, the ideologies that this world promises have been rendered dead. They have been crucified to me. Meaning they're a lifeless corpse. And a lifeless corpse has no attraction. A lifeless corpse is exactly that. Lifeless. It has no life. A lifeless corpse has no power. That is what this world has happened. I used to live in the country down in the southern highlands. And I had seen many dead wombats and many dead kangaroos. And I remember I, I, I hit a kangaroo once. It wasn't deliberately. They, they, just, they, just, they just jumped out in front of me. And I remember I, 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 was, I was driving and it bounced out in front of me. And I remember I prayed, oh, Lord, because I just had the front of my car fixed. And I said, oh, Lord, please. And it, it jumped and it, it actually slid up the bonnet and broke my windshield. And oh, thanks, Lord. And then my friend said to me, bro, you, you should have prayed, Lord, can you just miss the whole car? And I went, oh, that's true. I didn't think of that right then. So, um, but, but you know what I mean? So, so I remember I saw, so I, I killed the, the, the roo. I killed the roo, so it was, it was a big one. So I had to get out. I had to drag it off the road and throw it to the side. When you live in the country, tell me what you do, okay? Let me, okay, all right. All right, all right. so, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, Okay. The dead wombats, the dead kangaroos, the dead snakes, the dead echidnas, well, all those dead animals I saw, when you walk past them, there is no attraction to them. There may be a curiosity, yeah, there may be a curiosity. I might go, look, hey, it's dead, but that's it. That's it. I'm not going to spend time playing with it. 
I'm not going to spend time nurturing it. I'm not going to spend time breathing life back into it. There was a kangaroo that, that jumped in our dam and it drowned because it's only got little arms. And he drowned. And I'm not being morbid. I'm, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to explain something to you. I'm just trying to explain to you. Okay, and once again, I dragged it out and we burnt it. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is, this is what the world has been made to us. Yes, we might be curious, but there's nothing attractive in it. There's nothing of worth in it. There's nothing of value in it. Why? Because it's a dead corpse. The world has been crucified to us. Meaning all power has been removed. All desire for it has been removed. All longing for it has been removed. Why? Because it is being crucified to us. To boast also, not only that, we are told that we have been crucified to the world. It's, it, there's a twofold thing. Yes, the world has been crucified to us, but we too have been crucified to the world. Now, there's a slightly different thing for us is this. See, we've been crucified with Christ, and our old man is dead. The old man that was attracted to the world. The old man that was or did hold to those old values. That old man that did hold to those old priorities. The old man that used to promote those old ideologies. That old man is dead. But the life of Christ has made me alive. What does it say in Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. Yes, I am dead to the world. But the life I now live is by what? By Christ who lives in me. Because Christ lives, I live. Because Christ is overcome, I can overcome. Because Christ is victorious, we have victory. Why else would we not boast that we are on literally the winning side? We have the winning team. We have the captain of of our salvation that has overcome all things. We've been made new creations in Christ, a new man renewed by the Spirit, a new man alive in Christ. That's something to boast in. To boast in the cross of Christ for which the world is now dead to us and we are dead to the world. Dead to the world, yes. We are dead to the world, but alive in Christ. Which means, what do you and I do with such truths? What do you and I do with this reality? Because this is what it is. This is a reality that has taken place for us right now in Jesus Christ. It is not something that we are looking to attain. We have attained it already in him. We are not looking to go to heaven. We are already seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ right now. The victory we have is right now. The new life we have is right now. The joy we can experience is right now in Christ. This is the best word, and it's why we can boast, because we know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what can we do? We can meditate on the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we want to look at the true gospel, the gospel that looks at Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation. The gospel that, that tells us that we are beloved by the Father. The gospel that tells us that we are sealed by his Holy Spirit. 
the gospel that tells us that we are now children of heaven and citizens of his kingdom, that we are children of light. So we meditate on the gospel, the true gospel, and not add to it. What else do we do? To abide in Christ. When we look at chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, like I said, it's, 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 he lives in us, and the life we live now is for him who loved us and gave himself for us, to abide in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 5, to abide means to, to make your dwelling there. To abide means to, to live, to immerse yourself in. I abide in my home. When I go home, I don't sleep outside the front door. When I go home, I don't, I don't hang around and, and use the bathroom in the backyard. No, I go into my home. My home is where I abide, where I live. I'm surrounded by my home. My home is to be Jesus Christ. I'm to abide in him. I still love the example that uh, Watchman Nee gave when he took a pen and he placed it. I don't have a pen, but I'll use a piece of paper. But he said, what does it mean to abide? And he took a pen and he placed it within his Bible. And he said, this is what it means to abide, to be immersed in to be surrounded by, to be secured in or through. That's what it means to abide. This is what we need to do, to abide in Christ. To walk by faith. And you see this in Galatians chapter 3. To walk by faith as God's children. That we walk as God's children who are no longer slaves. If you look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through to 7. That we are to stand firm in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us. And that as we walk by the Spirit, practically and consistently, the key to that freedom is for you and I to make a point of our lives now being with Him. Being with Jesus. Spending time in the relationship I shared the relationship I get to nurture with my wife as I spent time with her alone was a blessed time. How much more blessed to spend time nurturing your relationship with Jesus Christ alone. To spend time in his word. To spend time in prayer as you hear his voice speaking to you. To respond to his leading as he prompts you. To do away with those things in your life that are distracting you from him as he convicts you. That doesn't come when you're caught up in the busyness of life. That comes when you spend time intentionally seeking to nurture your relationship with him. To value him and him alone. To seek him and him alone. To trust in him and him alone. To rely on him and him alone. For it is Jesus who saved us. Jesus who changed us. Jesus who abides in us. And Jesus who works in us. It is why Paul, after this singular point of praise, says in verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. He says it's not about what you do outwardly. If there has been inward change, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that outwardly you don't live holy. I'm not saying outwardly you don't live a life that is sanctified for the glory of God. I'm not saying as outwardly that you live obedient. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is what counts is the inner man and how that inner man is being renewed by Jesus Christ. 
That's what counts. Because as the inner man is changed, so the outer man falls in line with your heart. What counts now? What counts now is the new creation. What counts now is that you are his. What counts now is the newness that he brings. What counts now is the ability to forgive as he forgave you. What counts now is that each day is a new day and his mercies are new every morning. What counts now is not where we failed or where we have been failed by others, but the fact that Jesus never fails. That's what counts now. What counts now is that Jesus is Lord. That's right. That Jesus is Lord and that we don't have to stay where we are, but we can move forward with him. That's what counts. What counts now is that he takes us with him. He doesn't leave us behind. What counts now is that he's continually working in you. That's what counts now. What counts now is that the grace of God is inexhaustible and placed on us through Jesus Christ. That the outworking of love through us, we can also proclaim the singular praise of our Lord. That's what counts. That's what counts now. What counts now is that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what counts. Because we see at the end, and I'm going to close with this, the last few verses of this book says this. I've changed a few words from what it says up there. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the Israel or people of God, from now on, let no one cause us trouble, for we seek to bear on our bodies the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is what counts. That as we come to the end of this letter where it has just been a skim over the top for the theological truths that have held within, for the practical lessons that each of us can learn, we have skimmed over the top of this letter. I would encourage you to go back again. To go back and start reading it yourself personally. And see how the Lord speaks to you about living in the freedom that he purchased for you with his own life that you look at the scriptures and allow him to speak to you, that you meet with him as he invites you to meet with himself. I pray that these sermons, that these messages haven't fallen on deaf ears or rather been something that has just heard and then forgotten, but rather gone over again and poured over by his spirit as he ministers to each of your hearts and brings you to the liberty and to the freedom that he has purchased. So, with that, if you'd just like to be upstanding, we'll close in a word of prayer, and then we'll call it a day as we head off for the rest of our mornings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence now, we recognize how much we need you. We need you to minister within our hearts. We need you to change our desires. We need you to give us a heart and a spirit that falls in line with your heart and your spirit. 
We thank you so much that your Holy Spirit dwells within us, who convicts us of sin, who challenges us, but also has sealed us and reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for your word and pray that each day this will not be something held to the side, but spent time in as you speak to us through it. We thank you for your people, for the church, and ask, Lord, that you will bless us through one another as we seek to support one another and move as the family of God in line with your will. Father, we ask for you to work your perfect work in each of our souls. We need your help to do so, for we are beyond our own physical ability to do anything. Please help us as we seek to abide in you. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the people of God from now on, let no one cause us trouble, for we bear in our bodies the marks of the Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. And all God's people said, Amen.